Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It is now appropriate to say Merry Christmas. It is that time. It's after Thanksgiving, so we can all say that, right? Amen. <laughs> Let me say welcome to uh, the, all of you joining us here and those online as we begin our Christmas series. And uh, if you are new with us, we are excited and honored to have you worship with us uh, this morning as we think about Christmas, this that time of year. Lights are everywhere, right? We actually have lights out front. Uh, in fact, over a month ago, you probably uh, started to see lights being put up in stores as they started to decorate for Christmas and the Christmas season. We've seen locally the cities and the, and the uh, towns and stuff with tree lightings and, and putting out all the street lights and all of that. Maybe you've already put out lights on your houses, either inside or outside, decorated your yards. How, how many have done that? Awesome. How many of you did it before Thanksgiving? Ah, that's good. Noted. Noted. And that is not a message we're getting in today or a discussion <laughs> that we're getting into today that would take forever. Um, the longest night of the year is just four days before Christmas. So all of this light uh, comes at a good time, right? It seems like it's the perfect time that in the darkest part of the year, the light of Christmas, the splendid light of the Messiah, of Jesus, breaks through that darkness. We praise God for that. And that's what we're going to study this Christmas season together. As we join here in God's house, we're going to study this little light. But it's not just a little light. This is a light that changes everything, that changed everything, continues to change all things, and it shines brighter than any other light in all of eternity. And so today we're going to focus on the foundation. We're going to look at the light. And next week we're going to see the light as we follow along with Simeon. The next week after that we're going to follow the light with the Magi. And then on Christmas Eve we're going to worship the light together. And so today let's set the foundation. And we're going to do that in John chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, join me in John chapter 8. And as you're turning there, let me take a few minutes to highlight a few things. It's that time of year where there are multiple opportunities and multiple things going on to celebrate Jesus and to be involved and connected. The first thing I want to highlight and celebrate is what happened this past Friday, Jingle Jam, our uh, Jingle Jam production. Amen. Uh, what an incredible evening to celebrate and to, uh, that this photo is really important for you guys to understand something, really important. The guy on top there is the gingerbread man. He's the winner and he looks a lot like me because it is me. And in this game, this guy wins, that's why he's on top of the pile and I just wanted to note that Thomas is on the bottom because he's a loser. So everybody knows that now. So, uh, yes, we had a lot of fun. I want to say thank you to Carolyn and Brett and their teams and all of you volunteers. Come on, can you, can you join me in thanking them? What a great, great evening. They do such a great job every year. Uh, so thank you for that. 
Today, uh, one other thing, Joy Project, thank you for all of you who have given and being uh, involved in that. Uh, this is kind of the final day for you to give. There are envelopes and uh, a little handout in the seats around you uh, so that we can start to distribute all of the giving, that blessing, that joy into our strategic partners, the local schools, and into the families here um, that will be receiving that. So if you still want to be a part of that, there's still time. You can do that. Um, but the Joy Project, and we'll celebrate the Joy Project on Christmas Eve as we share what God did through his people. Next Sunday is baptisms, and so we will celebrate here the proclamation of Jesus changing lives through baptism. And if you're interested in being baptized next week here during our services, please let us know. You can see Pastor Tyler after the service. You can send us an email, sign up for that. Let us know you want to be involved in that as it'll be our last baptism of the year. And then lastly, holiday, Christmas service times, Christmas Eve. Uh, again, we'll worship the light together, but Christmas Eve is at 3 and 5 p.m. Uh, what we've learned over the years is that a lot of our families like to spend Christmas Eve with their families and extended families and stuff, and so we want to give you the opportunity to, to come and worship and have uh, that time with Jesus to be filled up so that you might go and spend time with your family and have the strength to spend time with your family on Christmas Eve. Amen? <laughs> so Christmas Eve services, 3 and 5 p.m., Christmas online. So Christmas Day is Sunday. Uh, we will have one very special online service so you can celebrate Jesus with your family in your PJs. Watch this very special service. It will premiere at 10.30 a.m., so a very special service on Christmas Day. Not in person, but online. You can go to our website to find that. And then New Year's Day. One service, family style, everybody in the auditorium, 1030, one service as we kick off the new year. All right? Okay, today, the declaration of Jesus as the light of the world, the foundation for our Christmas series. John chapter 8, verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I spoke on this verse over this past summer. How many people remember that? Thank you for your <laughs> transparency. I could have continued to speak. I could have just done the same message. <laughs> the important, there's an important piece here, and that is to grasp the magnitude of the statement that Jesus is saying. We need to understand a few things in order to do that. A few setups, the when, the where, those kinds of things. What's taking place when Jesus makes this statement is the Feast of Tabernacles. And God had given this to his nation, the nation of Israel, to his people as an annual feast to remember. Remember what he had done for them over the four decades, 40 years that they were in the wilderness just wandering around what God had done for them before he brought them into the promised land. And so there's two real distinctives about this particular celebration that made it different from the others. So for seven days as they celebrated, they would, the entire nation of Israel would come together and they would camp out. They wouldn't stay in their, their normal houses or homes or anything. They would camp out in these, these little booths and these huts that they would make and these tents that they would make out of branches and, and other things from the wilderness. And they did all that to remind them of what their ancestors faced as they wandered through the wilderness, the hardships that they endured. And, and so on the opening night of this celebration, they would come together and four 
gigantic candle operas would be lit. They stood 75 feet high. They would be lit. They would illuminate the entire temple, much of Jerusalem. And back in the summer, I showed a photo of what that was you know, described as and depicted as. Each candle opera had four branches supplied by these golden bowls of of 10 gallons of oil, and it would just burn the entire time of the celebration. And these flames were enormous, right? And it lit up the temple and the city. And throughout the week, as they, as they came together, the religious leaders would praise God, and they would sing songs of joy, and the people would, would be involved in that, and they would watch, and they waited. And the festival was to remind the Israelites of the glory of God, of his dwelling among them, of his Shekinah glory, right, with that bright light from the candle operas, the very thing that filled the temple as they wandered, the very thing that led them as they wandered. So it wasn't just about him filling, it was about his presence too. The celebration also focused on the promise of God to send a light, the anointed Light, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior who would deliver them from this darkness, from this despair. So they would be gathering, and if you notice what I said just a minute ago, that they waited. You might have asked, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the Messiah. But as they were doing that, they would offer sacrifices, they would read scriptures like this, Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, we know on this side of the cross and the resurrection that that verse is looking at Jesus Christ, the Savior. But they would read that in, in, in the understanding and in the context of still looking for him. So the imagery of this celebration culminates, though, on the final day of the feast as Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Now, what's amazing about him making that statement, that verse, verse 12 of chapter 8, what's amazing about that is his timing. And, and obviously, Jesus is perfect in all of this, right? The timing of the celebration. And when he says this, as the celebration comes to an end at the end of the week on day 7, and we understand this through the prior previous chapter John, uh, John gives to us and tells us when Jesus say, uh, makes this statement, on day seven, as the celebration wraps up, you know what they do? They extinguish all the lights. They put out the torches. They're, everything is dark now. The lights have been put out, and they're, they're now back into this darkness. The reason that the lights are put out is that in their minds, they still don't believe that, that God sent the Savior yet. In their minds, in, in the minds of the Jewish nation at this time, they still didn't believe that God had sent the Savior, and so they extinguished the lights. The temple was dark, the, the huts, the tents are all torn down, and then Jesus stands up in that moment next to these incredible candle operas, right? And he declares that he has come. The Messiah is here. I am the light of the world. The Savior is here, and we sing hallelujah. John 1, verse 14, John says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus tabernacled among us. We celebrate that again, Christmas time, right? The incarnation, which we'll think about here in just a little bit as we reflect on communion. 
Which is exactly what they were celebrating in the feast of... This is why this statement and this moment is so spectacular and amazing. It's because in this moment they were celebrating the tabernacling of God you know, with their ancestors through the wilderness that His presence and His power was with them. And here in the moment that they're celebrating something that was behind them, right in front of them was Jesus. Right in front of them was the one who was the light that they so looked back on and reflected on from the 40 years Jesus is standing before them. That's why this is such an amazing statement in the amazing moment that He was there. The second thing to understand about this is what he said to them. What he says to us, verses, verse 12 again. He says, I am. Stop right there. I am. Now this refers back to when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Moses is told by God that you're going to be the one to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to be the one who's going to speak to Pharaoh. You're going to be the leader And Moses, in his response to God, says, well, what do I tell the people when they ask me who told me I'm going to do that? (laughs) And God simply replied to him in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Now, that says to us, and it speaks to us, the I am that God gives to him is God's covenantal name, right? In fact, the title I am was so sacred to the nation of Israel that it was only said by the high priest, and it was only said one time a year during the Day of Atonement because it signals the truth that nothing else, nothing else, when God has asked his name and he says, I am who I am, it signals to you, it signals to me, it signals to all of us that nothing else defines who God is but God himself. No person, no group, no government, no country, no thing, no nothing, no individual, nothing else defines who God is but God himself. And we do well to remember that. And every time Jesus then also says or uses the phrase, I am, which we know there are seven I am statements, he is doing what? He's emphatically stating to us, I am God. You say a lot of things about Jesus Christ, but the one thing that we know that he did is claim to be God. It's an amazing statement when he says this. It's a statement of sovereignty is a statement of supremacy, right? And when Jesus used the phrase, I am, he did it on purpose. Jesus was intentional about everything he did. Everything that he did was intentional, was perfect in its timing, and it was on purpose. And those who heard him when he made these I am statements did not miss the obvious connection he was making. So when Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life, for example, in John chapter 6, if you were to go back just a few chapters, in John chapter 6, Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life. And when he said that, the people immediately remembered God providing the manna, right? He supplied the manna for 40 years as they walked through the wilderness, right? In John chapter 7, Again, attending this Feast of Tabernacles, part of the celebration was to uh, pour water on the ground in the temple, commemorating the the water that came out of the rock during their time in the wilderness that we read in Numbers 17. So while the people are watching this water splash right on the stones of the temple, Jesus would stand up 
He stood up in the midst of that when with this voice he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John 7, 37. And then we get into chapter 8 and Jesus asserts that we've just read that he is the light of the world. He's deliberately associating himself with what? Three wilderness images in three consecutive chapters to establish his identity. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He is the light of life. There was no chance for the nation of Israel as they heard him over this time together for them not to at least see that he's proclaiming to be God. And he says, if you come, you're never hungry, you're never thirsty, and you're never in the dark. And listen, he's the only one who can promise that. There is no one else. There is nothing else. What else is being said in John 8, verse 12? Look at it one more time. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice what he says after the I am statement. He says, will not walk in darkness. Now, this is really important for us. We've just, we've just established that Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the God, the one that was the light, the one that was with them, the one that is with us. He's claiming deity, right? So when he says that they will not walk in darkness, what is he saying? By implication, he's saying something really important. He's telling us what he thinks about our human condition, about our human condition. That apart from himself, in the human condition, it's in hopeless darkness. Hopeless darkness apart from him. That we men and women are in darkness. That our minds are darkened. That, 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 that we are blind and we cannot see. By the way, the next story in the Gospel of John, if you were to move forward from 8 into 9, is about a blind man who's going to be healed. Do you see the connection? It's a recurring theme in John's Gospel. In fact... John, John told us in the very beginning, Jesus has come to dispel the darkness. He plants that right in the prologue of the introduction of, his op- of the opening of this gospel. He plants the idea that Jesus is coming into the world as the light of the world to dispel the darkness. And we're going to look at that on Christmas Eve. But Jesus, when he says that they will not walk in darkness, he's speaking of darkness in a personal way. Again, he's talking about the human condition. There is a darkness that lies in the human heart. There's a darkness of the natural person's mind. And in John chapter 3, let me show you an example as we see this interaction as he encounters, as Jesus encounters Nicodemus, just to show you just in one little example of this interaction with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, religious elite, this is what happens. Jesus begins by telling him, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, he he says to Jesus, I don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus says, well, unless you come into the kingdom, you can't understand. And Nicodemus again says, I I don't understand what you're saying. I I don't get it. And Jesus says again, unless a man is born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And so Nicodemus is saying, I don't understand. Jesus, I don't understand a word of what you're saying. And every word that comes out of Nicodemus' mouth confirms what Jesus is saying. That the natural person is in darkness. That the, the human condition is one of darkness. And so here is Jesus, again, his own statement saying that if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. So he's saying that if we don't follow him, we're going to walk in darkness. It's going to be dark. And now at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, when all the candles have gone out, when everything has been extinguished, Jesus in this booming voice, you've got to imagine Jesus, right, with that, that big loud voice. He stands up and he says, listen. I am the light of the world. If you believe in me, you're going to walk out of the darkness into what? The sunshine of new life and glory and inheritance. And when you and I trust in Jesus to dispel the darkness in our hearts, we trust in Jesus to lead us through the darkness that we face. That's what he's saying. Listen, follow me. If you go back to the verse, he says, follow me. You will not walk in darkness, but you will what? Have the light of life. Jesus is the light. He's not another light. He's not an additional light. He is not just a light, but he is the light, meaning that, that he is the only one who can and who has dealt with the darkness. There is nothing that you and I can do the deal with the darkness. Praise God that Jesus has dealt with the darkness. It's a life-changing verse. It's life-changing. It's a foundational verse for us. It says that following Jesus is more than just tacking along behind Him. It means following Him for who He really is. Being so taken with Him. Being so engrossed and consumed. If you want to be consumed with something, be consumed with Jesus. So consumed, being so taken with Him that we join ourselves to Him. And notice that when we follow Him, we have Him. When we follow Him, we have Him. We have Him as the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light. Whoever follows will have the light. You will have me He says, as your light. If you follow me, you have me. I am yours. I am your shepherd. I am your sacrifice. I am your living water. I am the bread from heaven. I am your God. I am your Savior. I am your light. Praise God. So what is the connection between light and life? Again, John in chapter 1 verse 4 gives the answer. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of of men. The life gives the light. So the life Jesus has and the life that he shares with those who follow him gives them light. That's what he's saying. That is, we are dead. We are blind to the light until the life of Jesus is imparted to us by God's Spirit. In our repentance, in our confession of sin, in our acknowledgement of our wrong and of our our breaking God's commandments, God's laws, in our 
humility, in, in our humbleness, in our recognition that I am not God. And in all of those moments with His, with His movement of the Holy Spirit regenerating us with the comfort of mercy and grace and forgiveness, all of that, that's when the light shines in because it is the life of Christ imparted to us. It's eye-opening. The life gives sight to the blind soul. Eternal life giving eternal sight. In other words, the kind of change, the kind of transformation, the kind of newness that Jesus is promising, that Jesus as a light of the world will bring is the kind that says, you're not destined to walk in darkness. You're not destined to walk in darkness. We celebrate Jesus coming at Christmas to transform, to change. And we know that Him coming changed everything. And one of the things that is speaking to us today as we set this foundation is you are not destined to walk in darkness. Only Jesus can make the statement that if you follow me, because I am the light of the world, the light of the world that has life, real life, eternal life, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, rather you will walk in the light of life. Jesus is the only one, and what he's declaring in that is that you are not destined to walk in darkness. If Jesus never came, you and I were destined to walk in darkness forever. But because he's come, we are not destined. You hear that? I want that to be good news to us, and it should be. We're not destined to walk in darkness. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what darkness you may find yourself in. It may be this morning that the darkness is heavy. Certain times of year, especially around major holidays, it seems like the darkness is heavier or thicker. Maybe it's addictions or affections or patterns and priorities or longings and behaviors that are just dark and, and you find yourself maybe even this morning wondering will they ever go away or believing maybe that they're never going to go away that that, that, that darkness will always be with you that you'll always struggle within that darkness forever and forever and forever that you cannot get away from the darkness and here's the promise that Jesus in his declarative statement that I am the light of the world that if you belong to Jesus if he has called you out of your darkness into that marvelous light that that darkness will not win that darkness will not win you are not destined to walk in darkness. If you belong to Jesus, nothing can take away the, the light of Christ. If you have Christ, you have the light of Christ. And listen, it cannot be taken away from you. The evil one cannot take it away. He cannot take you from Christ and he cannot take Christ from you. And no matter how much he rages against you, in the temptations that he brings, in the trials that he presses in on, in the darkness that he 
brings to your life, nothing can take away the light of Christ. Nothing can. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, nothing. We read in the Scriptures and declare a statement that, for I am sure that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you follow me as the light of the world, you will not walk in darkness. You are not destined to walk in darkness. You will have the light of life because you will have Jesus the darkness will not win that's the claim Jesus is making the light meets us in the darkness and it delivers us out of the darkness and do you need that assurance today do you need that deliverance today maybe it is this morning that you need that and it's offered to you that's the beauty Jesus is always extending his hands of invitation to come home. It's a recognition, as I've noted, of I know who I am and I know who he is and I am not him. I did not conquer the grave. I did not live perfectly. I did not take the cup of wrath. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And when you, when you come to him, he responds. Maybe that's you today. The light has come. The light of Christ. Every year across the world, we celebrate this great truth at Christmas. And maybe you need to respond to that. You need to know that you're not destined to walk in that darkness because Jesus has provided the light through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promise of coming again. And there will be a light that will last forever. And he's inviting you to respond to that invitation. And if you do, allow us to baptize you next week. Follow through in that proclamation. Tell the world that the light has come. The light is Jesus. And for those who have responded to that light, the beauty of this verse is encouraging. It's reassuring. But let me assure us there is one other piece. It is compelling, which we will talk about later in this series, but it compels us to reflect the light to those around us. But as we do that, let me, a sober reminder, John 1 says, you are not the light, but you bear witness about the light. I am not the light, but I bear witness about the light. And so may us, may we, this Christmas season, be, may it be a season where the light of Christ, not our own light, but where the light of Christ shines through us where we can humbly say, listen, I'm not the light. We can humbly show people with grace the darkness. But then we can say, listen, I am not the light, but I bear witness to the light. I bear witness about the light. I'm broken. I'm a, I'm a broken mess, but here is how God is bringing light into my life. And if He can do it in my broken mess of a life, the darkness that is in and through my life, then he can do that for you too. Whatever deep darkness is there, that light can come. You see, there's not a thing that you and I possess that God needs, but what he does use of us is our empty hands to bring his light. A light that was victorious. A light that we'll reflect on as we go into a time of communion. So if you have your communion cup, Join me. Go ahead and pull that out.
Go ahead and pull that top layer off and pull out that little, little white wafer. And as you're holding that wafer, we think about the victory. We think about the victory of Christ. The light has come, has shone. The light continues to shine. But it took a sacrifice that only He could give. It took a heart of love and compassion that only Christ could put forth. And so as you hold this, Let's walk to the cross. Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes for a second? This Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Jesus in the, is the baby in the manger. We look at the, the perfect son putting on the flesh, the incarnation, putting on the flesh and becoming a baby. And I think it's important as we start this season that we we recognize the glory and the goodness of him coming as this little baby, but do me a favor, let's walk. As a bystander, as someone just kind of trailing along as Jesus goes from the cradle to the cross. He comes as a baby in a manger into a place not really known by many gathered around him are others who celebrate this moment in history that will change everything. He begins to grow up and the little 12-year-old Jesus at the temple, parents looking for him, he continues to grow and the man, Jesus, begins a ministry. He calls disciples together he begins to teach them. He begins to teach the people in Judea, Galilee. He begins to share. He begins to sit on the, on the boat and teach. Imagine Jesus walking through the town, telling, showing, praying, weeping, Jesus with Mary and Martha calling Lazarus forth. Now imagine Jesus on that triumphal entry riding that donkey as the crowds praised and celebrated Jesus coming. Imagine Jesus in the garden on his face knowing that that perfect, perfect body is going to be broken for the sins of the world, for my sins and for yours. And as he prays in agony, he's arrested. He's brought before the high priest. He's beaten and that perfect body represented by this complete wafer is broken 
It's not broken because he's guilty. It's broken because we are. And in his love and willingness to take it, he doesn't just take a portion, he takes it all. And he does that so that you and I will not be in darkness. We will have a light for a way home. And so when we come to communion each month, this isn't just something that we do. This is, this is the causes, the pause, to put to stop in our tracks, to stop thinking about anything else as a follower, as a disciple, to fall on our face and to be humbled that the perfect Son of God, the light of the world, would give over everything so that you and I would have a light home. And this wafer is that body being broken for that light. Let's take this together. If you would go ahead and open up the bottom part of your cup. again as you begin to see the juice, the representation of the blood of Christ if you would do me a favor and close your eyes once again let's go back to that scene it's before the religious leaders he's taken to Pilate Pilate turns him over to be crucified Jesus is led out. He's tied to the scourging post. He's stripped of his clothing and he is beginning to receive the scourging from the Roman soldier. The cat of nine tails, strike after strike. With every hit deeper into the muscle, to the tissue, to the blood that begins to stream. Jesus is taking this for you and me. He's taking this so you and I will have a way home. We don't have to live in darkness, but we have a light. They finish the scourging, they untie him. They tie the patabellum, the cross member, the cross beam of the cross across his shoulders, and they begin to march him down the, down the road that he would have came in on, where there was celebration. Now the Via Della Rosa is the road of sorrow. The people that once celebrated are now mocking, laughing, spitting, ridiculing, turning away, denying association. Betraying, Jesus didn't just take the physical, but he took the emotional. And as he's walking down the Via Della Rosa, the drops of the perfect sacrifice, the blood of the pure and precious lamb is pouring out. They lead him out to a place 
place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary. And as they lay him down, they, they nail through his wrist and through his feet onto the other piece of the cross and they lift him up and they drop him with a loud thud into the hole that the cross would land in. And the blood is now pouring. The crown of thorns pressing deeper in. And Jesus looks out in only the way that the Son and the Savior could look and He sees you and He sees me. And in His love, He stays on the cross. He takes it. He endures it. He allows the blood to pour. As He's looking at you, as he's looking at me. This is why this isn't just something we do. Because you and I have never received a gift like that. And the world never will. Ever again. Because what he did on the cross was finish the work. when he died they took him down they placed him in a tomb that he only need for a few days because the light rose victorious but in order to celebrate the victory we got to see the agony all for us you've never lived an unloved day in your life Jesus loves you, and may this cup remind you of that love. Let's take this together. Father, we're so grateful you didn't leave us in the dark, but you sent your Son, our Savior, the light to lead us home, to lead us through until one day there will be no need a sun or a moon because you shall be our light forever and ever and in that victory in that promise God may we live our lives every day in a posture of humility simply reflecting the light that Christ has brought to us that he won victoriously and may he get all the glory and all the praise in Jesus name Amen.